All right, if you're excited to be here, would you say amen? Good, I'm excited to teach. Last week we began the first of a two-part message titled Out with the Old, and we looked at last week some of the ways that uh, inadvertently sometimes we're not even aware that we kind of live with this old covenant mentality. And the reality is that old covenant, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13 says it's obsolete. And so if there's anything that's obsolete that we're still trying to live by, it weighs us down spiritually, and we don't experience the fullness and freedom that we have in Christ through the new covenant. So this morning, I invite you to take your Bibles, if you got that, or your phone, or your tablet, whatever you use this morning, and turn to Hebrews chapter 8. We're going to read back through the same passage that we read through last week to kind of help us understand and set the context. Now, normally I teach through a section of Scripture, uh, but last week and this week, we're going to take a thought in that Scripture in verse 13 and kind of teach out of that thought as opposed to verse by verse uh, this weekend. So it's a little bit different, but that's what we're going to do this weekend. So as you're turning there, <clears throat> let me just give you a little um, explanation of what we mean when we talk about the Old Covenant, because here's why. If you don't understand that, or if you weren't here last week, or last week's the first time you've heard about that, or the book of Hebrews is kind of all new to you, so here's the reality. Everything that we teach and build on today on that idea of Old Covenant, it will not make sense to you if you don't understand what that is. So, uh, book of Hebrews was written to a group of Jewish converts to Christianity. Uh, once they went from Judaism to Christianity, they began to get persecuted because of their faith. There was a guy ruling at that time by the name of Nero. Nero was probably the greatest persecutor of Christians that ever lived. And so uh, they began to have these conversations. They said, you know what? Um, lots of people are getting killed. We may get killed for our faith. Uh, no one bothered us when we were back uh, uh, doing Judaism under the old covenant and the law. And so maybe we should just go back because at least we'll be alive. And so the writer of the book of Hebrews, we're not totally sure who that is, the writer of the book of Hebrews spends uh, the first ten chapters basically saying, no, 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 listen, Jesus is greater than, he's greater than anything else, he's a greater priest, greater prophet, greater sacrifice, greater covenant, greater tabernacle, he's better than Moses, better than Joshua, better than Aaron, listen, he's better than all those things, and, and if you'll just get a hold of that, then you'll persevere in the midst of persecution. That's what the chapters 10, 11, and 12, and 13 are all about, persevering, because Jesus is greater than. And so what happens is uh, they're thinking about going back under this old covenant under the Mosaic law, and he's just saying, no, 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 Jesus is so much better. Jesus, according to chapter 9 and chapter 12, is the mediator of a new covenant, and it's so much better. If you'll just get a hold of that, then you'll persevere despite all this persecution. So <clears throat> when we talk about the old covenant uh, under the Mosaic law, here's my explanation. Uh, lots of people, when we talk about the law, uh, lots of people don't even know exactly what we're talking about. Uh, matter of fact, most often when people think of the law, what they often do is just take a small section of it uh, called the Ten Commandments, right? And, and if you've not been in church, but you know who wrote the Ten Commandments. Everybody knows who wrote the Ten Commandments? Charlton Heston, that's right. And so you've, you've seen that movie, right? And so but that's just a small piece of the laws, the Ten Commandments. But here's what the law was. The law was a set of a 613 divine commands that helped them live out the Abrahamic covenant that God gave to the nation of Israel. Very specific covenant there. There were uh, 365 negative commands and 248 positive commands. Now, these 613 commands were grouped into three categories. Uh, they were moral law, social law, and ceremonial law. And the law covered every facet of Israel and their relationship with God. So there was no point in time, if you were a part of the nation of Israel, where you sit back and said, you know what, I don't think the law is that big of a deal. 613, are you serious? And, and I'm just, I'm not going to ignore that. But listen, it ruled every facet of their lives. It was everything that they lived by. So, so here's what happened. 
Uh, if, if that wasn't enough, 613 laws. A group of religious leaders, the Pharisees, came alongside and they slowly began to add to these laws. And they didn't add new laws, but what they said is, hey, these laws, some of them are kind of general, so in order to help clarify or, or, or uh, help people understand how to live out these laws, we're going to uh, come up with another system of rules and teachings, and that system of rules or teaching is called the Midrash, M-I-D-R-A-S-H. And so what that was was basically this. They took the law and they said, hey, in some of these areas, um, it's not clear on how to apply. And so we're going to come up with all these extra rules on how to actually apply all of these 613 laws. So uh, originally it was supposed to clarify, but what it did is it just burdened people down even more. Let me give you an example. So uh, in the Mosaic Law, one of the commandments was to keep the Sabbath holy. And so the Sabbath, you couldn't do any work on the Sabbath. That was a part of the Mosaic Law. And the uh, Pharisees at that time... Uh, they said, you know what, I don't, I don't know if people uh, realize that sometimes they're probably working and on the Sabbath and they don't even realize it. So what they did is that one law, they came up with 39 ways that it should be applied. And so, uh, for example, uh, in those 39 ways of what work actually means, uh, they had a, a rule about that, how many steps you could take on the Sabbath. Like if you took too many steps... Apparently, you just have to drop dead because at that point in time, you were breaking this, the, the law, and that was a big deal. So they, they would say, hey, you, not only can you not work on the Sabbath, if you take this many steps, that's considered work. They actually had another way. They applied that. They uh, actually had a, uh, as a part of their teaching, they had a rule of how many letters you could write. In other words, writing was not a work on the Sabbath, but if you wrote more than X amount of letters on the Sabbath, you were working. And if you're working, you're violating the law, and there's all kinds of penalties about that. And so here Jesus comes along and says, hey, listen, all of that, that was fine and dandy, but that, that's all done, right? Like that's all done. I'm meeting a new covenant. Chapter 9 says, chapter 12 says, that's all done. But what happens is, even though it's done theologically, practically speaking, I think it's crept into our lives spiritually, and we don't even realize it in some ways. All right, so we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 8, verse 7 through 13 again. Uh, the key verse of verse 7 and verse 13 kind of bookends. All right, so you introduce two key concepts there. Hebrews chapter 8, same passage we looked at last week. It's kind of a set the context of our conversation this morning. Uh, verse 7 says this, For if that first covenant, he's talking about the law, if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for the second. So, so right off the bat in verse 7, he's saying, hey, listen, something was wrong. Something was inadequate. Like it didn't, didn't quite... Uh, accomplish everything perfectly, okay? Uh, because finding fault with them, he says, verse 8, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. Verse 10, uh, For this is the covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. That was radically different, okay? It wasn't external anymore. Write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Now, here's key verse, all right? Verse 13. In that, he says, a new covenant he has made, the first obsolete now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away and, and so what happens this morning is, is uh, this this idea that theologically this old covenant is obsolete uh, sometimes we, we just grab a hold of that stuff and someone taught it and what's well, in the bible too and isn't the bible one big book and well i don't understand the difference between the covenants and so we kind of take some of these 
old covenant mentality or theology and bring it into new covenant living, and it weighs us down. Why? Because it is obsolete is what is said here in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13. All of that stuff was for a season, for a specific group of people, the nation of Israel. But now, under the new covenant, we're free from all of that. But here's my experience practically. We're not as free as we think we are. And so last week I just said, hey, I'm going to list 10 things, uh, 10 ways that the old covenant creeps into our, into our walk. And uh, last week we just got through three. And so this morning we're going to get through the rest of them. And so I won't have time to drill down deeply to get through all of them in a, in a time. But I just want to walk you through again some of the common ways uh, that we still hang on to this old covenant way of living. And then near the end, I want to give you some practical steps on how to break free from that. Because I think that's super, super important. Because no one, no one like, like no one looks at the, uh, the old covenant as compared to the covenant of grace. And goes, you know what? I think that's a better deal. Right? Like those 613 laws, count me in. Like nobody does. But it's still, it's hard to get free from. So, warning signs that you're still hanging on to the old. And this is action number four. Because it's part two. All right? Warning sign number four. You are prejudiced. That's not a statement, that's a warning sign, all right? And so the reality is this, the Mosaic law did not command uh, the, the prejudice, but it did produce it uh, as a byproduct. Let, let me explain this. Through the Mosaic law, the, the children of Israel under the, uh, Abraham were, were forbidden from intermarrying, and, and God said, hey, listen, you're a special group of people. I want to do something through you, and so don't intermarry with other groups of people. And so that was a part of the Mosaic law. However, under the additional teachings they added to the law, here's what they said. They said, hey, here's a good deal. If that's what God wants, there's no intermarriage because this is a pure line. These are God's chosen people. Then we're going to up the ante a little bit to make sure that doesn't happen. So what we're going to say under our tradition or our oral law is that you shouldn't even have social contact with anyone else. Listen, if they're, if they're not a Jewish person, or they're Gentiles, a non-Jew, if they're, not a, if they're not a Jewish person, not only should you not intermarry, you, you shouldn't even talk to them. You shouldn't look at them. You shouldn't have social interaction with them because if you do that, then in turn, uh, you'll follow this law or those kind of things. Here's the reality. I just learned this this week. There are some within Orthodox Ju Judaism, they still practice that, that principle. They don't socialize with non-Jewish people. And so what happened is the byproduct of the law was basically this. Here's what it did. It said, hey, listen, you're great, and, and I know that God, you know, Christ died, and, and the, you know, the gospel's for everyone, but, 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 we're God's chosen people. God loves us more. We've got this special covenant. There's these special guidelines. There's a special relationship that we have with God. And so what happened to them is they just thought that in the eyes of God, they were better than everyone else. And what do we call that when I think that I'm better than someone else because of any reason? We call that prejudice. And so the law didn't command prejudice, but the overflow of the law or the, 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 what the law produced in them, spiritual pride, prejudice began to creep into the church. Now, uh, this came to a head in Acts chapter 10. There's this issue uh, that's arising. And so there's an issue, and uh, the, you know, the Jews and non-Jews didn't interact. And so uh, Peter uh, is going, and he's preaching the gospel, and, gospel, and there's uh, non-Jewish people. And so they didn't follow all the dietary laws. And so this idea that you know, pork, pork was unclean or whatever, they're like, oh, that doesn't matter. And so Peter's like, you know what? No one's, no one's looking. I'll just sit down with my new uh, Gentile brothers, and we'll have a little barbecue. Amen? And so here's what happened. So Paul and some other people are coming, and Peter gets word that they're coming. This is around Acts chapter 10. And all of a sudden, when he finds out they're coming, he gets panicked. Because here's what he knows. He goes, oh, oh no. If they show up and see I'm eating this unclean food with these unclean people, uh, they're going to come down hard on me. And so he gets up, and he basically says, hey, guys, I'm sorry. I've got to sit at a different lunch table, all right? And then 
uh, Paul walks up and here's what he says. He says, Peter, I smell ham on your breath, right? He said, no, 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 I was just, I was just, no, no. And he says, hey, listen, either the gospel's for everyone or it's for only a select amount of people. And if you just say that, hey, God loves us more or God values us more because we're from the line of Abraham, we're Jews, then what you're saying is there's some kind of prejudice in the heart of God. Matter of fact, this issue gets so big that later in the book of Acts, I believe it's chapter 15, there's this crescendo or this conflict. It's what's known as the Jerusalem Council. And what these people were saying was this, okay, listen, I get that the Gentiles now can be saved, right? That happened in Acts chapter 10, this vision they has, he goes to the house of Cornelius, who's a Gentile, he preached the gospel, they get saved. So, so at that point in time, like, I get it, right? But, 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 even though you can be saved, if you want the full favor of God, you should also observe all these rituals and feasts and customs and all these things. In other words, um, before you become a Christian, you have to become Jewish, and like, this is ridiculous. And so they had this huge clash in Acts chapter 15. And once and for all, the issue is still say, hey, listen, the gospel is free to every single person. But the area of prejudice was so deep in the early church that they didn't want to take the gospel outside of Jerusalem for the fear that someone other than a Jewish background person could be saved and they would experience the gospel. That's how deep prejudice was early in the church as a result of all. Now, if you're listening, say Amen. Prejudice is such a powerful sin, according to the book of Acts, that people would rather someone go to hell than to welcome them as equals. That's what was going on in Acts. Rather than say, hey, you're just as favored by God as we are, they said, I'd rather not take the gospel. I'd rather you go to hell than admit that we're equals. Can I just share, share with you this? That we still preach the gospel that Christ died for all men, every tongue, every nation, every creed will worship him, according to Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. And any time that we think that we're this or we're that, based on, listen, that is a form of prejudice, whether it's racial or socioeconomic or cultural or any of those kind of things. Listen, that's an old covenant Jewish thing. We're better. We're God's people. We've got this covenant. God loves us more, and you're less than us. That's an old covenant thing that creeps into our new covenant lives under the banner of grace that should not. Here's the fifth thing. Fifth thing. Uh, this one happens all the time, all the time. I taught on this two years ago. Uh, it happens all the time, but I had to mention it because it's so common. A uh, fifth way that the, you're still hanging on to the old is this. You rely on signs and wonders to guide you. You rely on signs and wonders to, uh, to guide you. Now, go back to the book of Hebrews, to the very first two verses in the entire book of Hebrews. These are the first two uh, verses we read. You said, how long ago would it start the book of Hebrews? Uh, shortly when I got home from the war, we started the book of Hebrews. All right? So what's he say in verse 1? God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. Verse 2 says, uh, Has he in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he's appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the worlds? Now, uh, what he's saying there basically at the beginning is this, that God's revelation in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, it was progressive. All right, so, so at times, God spoke to them through burning bushes. At times, God spoke to them through the prophetic word of prophets. At times, God spoke to them through earthquakes and famines and all kinds of signs. At times, God spoke through a pillar of fire and a cloud. God revealed himself through the miracles he did to Moses. He spoke to Ezekiel in a vision. There's, there's all these ways that the way that God spoke was through these signs and wonders because the revelation of God was progressive in nature. But then he said, everything that I've wanted to reveal about myself is now complete in my son. That's what he says there in chapter 2. And what happens is this. There are lots of people 
That even though that, that time has passed where God spoke primarily through visions and signs and wonders, they're still holding on to that. I mean, have we all not come to a crossroads of decision in our life in some areas? Who should I marry? Where should I work? Where should we live? And we just thought, God, why don't you just uh, write it on the sky in a plane, right? Th this is the person who says, you know, I've been praying about this a lot, and I really feel like God has spoken to me. Like, how do you know? So listen, so listen. So the other night, so I go to the, the Taco Bell, and I get the Mexican pizza because God's favorite is on the Mexican pizza. Amen? And I want you to know this. In the, the black olives were arranged... And it said something. And I knew at that moment that God had spoken. Listen, there have been times I've been to Taco Bell and I felt like God has spoken as well. But that's not the way it works, amen? That, listen, uh, th things, God doesn't just jump off the, the tray there. At, at, but listen, there are lots of people who just say, hey, I'm, I'm looking, and this happened, and so I took that as a sign from God, and therefore. Now, what the, the most common uh, passage in the Old Testament uh, is a place that where this happened uh, was a guy by the name of Gideon, all right? And it's in Judges chapter 6. And so Gideon puts out a fleece. Now, like if you're here and the church is not a part of your background, like what do you mean he put out a fleece? Because when I hear fleece, I'm thinking Old Navy, Right? Not at all what happened. So let me read this to you out Judges chapter 6 because he wanted to seek a sign. Now let me give you a little context before we get there. God had already told Gideon, I'm going to give you victory over this army. All right? So that's the background. We don't have time to read. So Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you've said, in other words, God said, I've already told you I'm going to do that. All right? Look, I'll put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. And if there's dew on the fleece only, and it's dry on all the ground around it, then I shall know that you'll save Israel by my hand, as you have said. So he's testing the character of God, which is a bad idea, by the way. All right? And it was so. So God's patient. God says, all right, I'll play along. Here's what happened. When he arose the next morning, he squeezed the fleece together. He wrung the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. So weak faith. God says, all right, I'll play along. Totally fine. Let's do this. Okay? So, so end of story, right? Not at all. What happens next? Apparently nothing. All right, there it is. Uh, then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me, but let me just speak one more, all right? Uh, let me test, I pray, just one more with the fleece. Let it now be dry on all the fleece, but on the ground around it, let it be uh, with dew. And God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all the ground, all right? So, so, so here's what happens. God just says, hey, listen, I've already told you I'm going to give you victory. I've already said this. And, and Gideon's like, oh, I'm not totally sure. And, uh, and so just, God, if you'll just do this. God says, all right, play along. God gave him a sign. God answered that because it's one of the ways that God spoke in the old covenant. And he says, oh, don't get mad. But can you do that again just to be sure, right? And so just one more sign. So God is patient. God is merciful. God gives another sign. And God did that through the old covenant, through the old way that God spoke. Now, here's the deal. So what's the difference? In the new covenant... We are guided by the indwelling Spirit of God, not external signs and wonders. You know why God doesn't have to write, write in the sky to guide me? Because God lives in me. That's why. We're governed by a mind that's renewed by God's Word according to Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 2. God's Word. Listen, that's how it works, the new covenant. So if you're this person who the Spirit of God's living in you and the Word of God is renewing your mind, but you're all the time going, I just need a sign, I need a sign, I need a sign, I need to put out a fleece, or whatever the case is, listen, that's old covenant ways of thinking. You're being weighed down. And if you're not careful, you'll take a sign and bend it to say something that God never intended. It's old covenant. Six way. Six way. You behave as if church was a place and not a movement. 
You behave as if church was a place and not a movement. Listen, under the old covenant, uh, God lived in a place. God lived in the tabernacle, God's presence. Uh, God lived in the temple. In the new covenant, God doesn't live in tabernacles or tents. God lives in me. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of me. But in the old covenant, uh, the idea was this. Listen, if you want to get to God, if you want to experience God's presence, uh, this is where God lives. God lives in the tabernacle. God lives in the temple. And if you want to experience God, then this is his address. You just go there because God lives there. And when you knock, God will show up. It's all good. Listen, that's all old covenant. Now what happens is this. People would have to go to places to get to God. You know what happens in the new covenant? We should be going to people to give them God. That's the difference. And the reality is if, if we just think that, oh, listen, we can unlock the doors and, and people will flood in because God lives here. Listen, that's old covenant mentality. As a matter of fact, uh, I read some research not too long ago that said this. If all you do to reach people uh, for Christ is unlock your doors, then you'll reach people, but it's people who are coming from other churches because you have a better experience or programs for their kids. You know what we call that in pastoral ministry? Fishing in other people's aquariums. All right? And the reality is this. Listen, that's old covenant. God doesn't live in a place. We should be taking God to people under new covenant. So the church was never been about a place or those kind of things. Listen, the church was supposed to be a movement where we are his ambassadors going about representing him everywhere we go. Listen, God doesn't live in here. God lives in here for those who know Christ. And anything less, listen, it's an old covenant mentality, an old covenant mentality. So seventh way that you're living with an old covenant mentality. Seventh way is this, is that your prayer life uh, is, is timid. Prayer life is timid. Listen to the old covenant. You had to be very careful about how you approach God. Matter of fact, you couldn't do it on your own, so you had to find a priest who was a mediator, and then once a year, the high priest, he would go in, and he'd go into the Holy of Holies, and there was a veil that separated, and they said, hey, listen, this is where God dwells in the Holy of Holies, and there's this huge veil that separates where man can go, and God actually dwells. And you didn't go in there. Matter of fact, when people went in there in a wrong heart, the Bible says Aaron had two sons. Aaron was the first priest. He was Moses' brother. He had two sons. He said, you know what? We're going to go in there. And our dad, he's just old school. It doesn't really matter. God doesn't care. They go in there and they offer up what the Bible calls in Leviticus strange fire. In other words, it was not the way God intended. And God killed them on the spot. That's why, so, so this idea that, that they just didn't walk down and go, hey, what are we doing? I'm just going to, going to meet God in his presence. That did not happen for them. Did not happen for them. Uh, the rest of the temple is a place where God dwelt and is separated. So here's what happened. Uh, when Jesus came and offered up his own life, guess what? That all changed. That all changed. Of all the things that you could have taught an old covenant person, of all the things that have been so radical for them, probably the two most radical is this. Hey, you don't have to offer bulls and goats anymore. Like, what? Like, we've been doing that for a long time. But we, we're trusting that. That would have been radical to them. The other one, and probably the biggest one, is this. Hey, listen, and you can go and see God's presence. Like, no, 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 no. The only reason you're saying this is because you don't like me. You want me to go in there, you want me to get killed, right? That was radical to them. But when Jesus Christ offered up his life, listen to what happened according to Matthew chapter 27. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Now, here it is. At that moment, the curtain or the veil, which we just sang about, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Why does it say that? Because the, the veil was so large 
that if a man would have ripped it in two, a man would have had to grab the bottom of it and rip it from the bottom to the top. Why? Because he couldn't reach the top. But when Christ gave his life, and the Bible says that the veil was torn in two from the top where a man could not reach all the way to the bottom, it signified that God himself opened up unhindered access that everyone who belongs to Christ can come before God, the throne of grace boldly, and seek mercy and grace in their time of help. And God will give it to those people. Thank God because of that we have access to the father and so if you've got this timid prayer life like oh i don't want to ask that or i just you know i keep asking for the same thing over and over and i just feel like i'm praying you know god, I just, god's probably getting tired of me listen you're living on an old covenant weight the bible says that once we're in christ listen that we could go before the throne of grace boldly to obtain mercy and grace in our time of need is what hebrews 4 says number eight number eight you are more focused on habits than heart affections. Listen, under the old covenant, everything was external. Everything was, was 613 laws. And then the Midrash where there's all these multiple thousands, literally thousands of ways you had to actually live out that law. So, so literally, under the old covenant, there were thousands upon thousands of external laws. And you think, well, who, why would you do that? That's stupid. Who does that? Who can keep all that? Because here's what they believe. If you could do the right thing on the outside externally, it'll produce a right heart before God. Now, that's not true. Let me, let me just prove it to you right now. Raise your hand if you've ever done the right thing with the wrong motive. Would you just raise your hand if you've done the right thing with the wrong motive? All right? Yeah, if your hand's not raised, no one likes you, all right? You say, you're a pastor. Have you ever done the right thing with the wrong motive? Every, all the time, just all the time, right? There are times when people have, you know, I see people coming. I've been doing this for 16 years. I see people coming, and, they, you know, there's sometimes I'm like, oh, I can tell by the look on their face. They don't have a, a testimony to share with me, right? They've got a concern or a prayer request they want to make me aware of, and they're walking away, they're critical and judgmental and all those kind of things, you know, all the time, like, you know, if I were the pastor, if I were the pastor, if I were the pastor, and all the time thinking, you're not, you're not, you're not. Anyway, right? <laughs> and they walk away, and you know what I've said sometimes? It's wrong, it's sinful, God forgive me. What I've walked away sometimes is, thank you for sharing that, Eeyore. That's what I thought, Right? Like, it, like I've said the right thing. Thanks for sharing that. I wasn't aware of that. But in my heart, I'm thinking, I'd love to punch you in the head, all right? It's the second service. I'm feeling a little froggy, so it's a little loose, all right? Listen. In the old covenant, what they said was this. Like, if you do the right thing on the outside, it'll change the inside. And so here's what Jesus himself said to those people that taught that. Matthew chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 23, verse 27, it says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You're like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Now, just FYI, if you're not a Bible scholar, that was not a compliment from Jesus, all right? So Jesus said, hey, listen, you can parade all your external righteousness and all your rules and all your stuff, all you want, but it has not produced a right heart inside of you. And if you're here and you're a person that thinks, just follow the rules, follow the rules, follow the rules, and it'll give me a new heart before God, listen, that's old covenant mentality. What, what, what did he say at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 8? He said, I will write my law where? On their hearts and minds. Anything less is old covenant. Now, number nine, if you're listening, say Amen. 
this is the one, this is the one that I will tell you in 16 years of ministry, this is the one that most commonly I bump up against. This is the one where I've sat across from people and they've taught this and they still don't understand it or they still just over and over, they, they, they just, just creeps into their spiritual lives. And, and I've just counseled this so many times, so I want you to listen closely. If you still think that God punishes you when you do something wrong, that is old covenant mentality. In the old covenant, certain violations of the law had specific required punishments. There were literally hundreds of required punishments that under grace are now forgivable. And I could read a laundry list of all these things that say, listen, under the law, the penalty for this was death. But under grace, or under the new covenant, grace is available. Forgiveness is available for things that used to be punishable by death under the law. So let me just, let me just give you one this morning. Uh, Exodus chapter 21, verse 15. It says this, anyone who strikes their father or mother must be put to death. Actually, that one's still in place. Amen? That's still, <laughs> write that one down. Let's keep that one. That's a good one. But here's the deal. Uh, obviously, like, hey, you disobeyed, so he may have thought it. You know, you know, he's putting your kid to death, and you go to court and go, what happened? Well, he, you know, did this, and so under the law, no, no, no. And so the reality is this. Sins that used to have stiff penalties could now be forgiven because of grace. Listen, let me, let me just slow down and say this. Once you are in Christ, God no longer punishes you punitively, and God's wrath no longer comes down on you. You know why? Because Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says this. Now therefore there is no condemnation. What's condemnation? Punitive punishment. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? That Christ bore all of God's wrath and all of God's punishment for sin on the cross on my behalf. Thank God for it. You say, well, what, is, what, is it, what does it say that? Listen, next, Hebrews chapter 9 verse 15. One of many places says this. For this reason... Christ is the mediator of the new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died. Now listen to this, listen to this. He has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. What's he said? What's he set them free from? The penalty of death or, or all these kinds of harsh penalties. He said once Christ came as the mediator of this new covenant, then these things here that used to have stiff penalties can now be forgiven under grace. And if you don't understand that, there are some issues in culture where someone says, hey, do you believe in the Bible? I think you're a Christian. Yeah, well, then how do you explain this? And they'll read off something from the Old Testament, you know, about, about all these kinds of rules. They go, well, how do you explain this? If you believe the Bible, listen, that was a different covenant. That covenant's obsolete. Those things are now forgiven. That's how I explain that. Do you want to receive Jesus? That's what they mean. Listen, anything less. Now, can we experience God's discipline that's motivated by his love? Yeah, we'll get to that in a couple chapters. Can, can, does, when God saves us, does he save us from all the consequences of unwise or sinful decisions? No, we still experience consequences of our decisions. But does God punish us punitively once we're in Christ? No. No. Lots of people still live with this mentality. Something's wrong in my life, therefore I must have done something wrong, and therefore God's mad at me and he's punishing me. Listen, Christ bore our wrath on the cross. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And anything less is an old covenant mentality. Now, here's the deal. No one looks at that old covenant and goes, I'll pick that one, right? Like no one's going, hey, thousands of laws, some I don't understand, only a few steps on the Sabbath, I can only write so many letters, count me in. I'm, I'm signing up for that, right? Nobody. 
But the reality is, even though everybody agrees that grace in the new covenant is a better deal, why is it that some people are still being weighed down with old covenant theology that's obsolete instead of embracing what it means to live by grace, not just saved by grace, but live by grace? All right, so let me give you three practical reasons that this is not exhaustive. I just wrote down three things this week that I think would be helpful. So how do you break free from this? Three really practical things. Number one, be honest about your drift. What I mean by that, so, so here's the deal. Everybody in this room, so there's this continuum, all right, between grace and truth. And everybody on this room is too far on one side or the other. Did you know that? Some of you are too, too far on the truth side. Some of you are too far on the grace side. And don't get discouraged by that because only Jesus was the perfect mixture of grace and truth. Now, let's see how aware you are of that. If you're here and you're on the truth in the spectrum, like sometimes you're like, you know, it's a little harsh, but it's the truth and that kind of thing. So if you're on the truth in the spectrum, as, a, as that's your natural bent, would you just raise your hand? I'm on the truth end. Anybody on the truth end over there like that? So if, you are, if you're on the grace end of the spectrum, I want you to raise your hand. I want you to keep it up. If you're on the grace more end of the spectrum, like sin grace, all that inspection, keep your hand up, keep your hand up. So all you truth people, with the people with the hands raised, they're liberals. All right, can you just write that down? No. Pray for them. No, anyway, so, so here, listen, here's the deal. If you're more on the grace into the spectrum, then what's going to happen is you're going to lab- label anything under the banner of personal holiness, you're going to go, oh, that's old covenant legalism. And if you're on the truth into the spectrum, your natural bent is going to be rules and enforcing for yourself and for other people. And so you've got to be honest about your drift where you are in that, all right? So be honest about your drift. And guard your heart against that because all of us will drift towards one side, grace or truth, based on our bent, our teaching, and all kinds of things. So number two, uh, run everything through the filter of Scripture. Right, let's listen. Wherever you land, you go, no, no, I think that's, I think that's still in play today. I think that's new covenant. I think, I know that, you know, I, I think that's totally, I, no, no, I think that's old covenant. We're free from that. Those, listen, uh, the reality is what defines what's still in play is what Scripture says. All right? Uh, and, and listen, let me just pick a controversial issue to make, make the argument for this point. Alcohol use, all right? Now, we all can agree, I hope, or if you're ignorant of this, listen, the Bible teaches drunkenness is a sin. It's all over the Bible. There's no question about it. You don't pray about it. The Bible clearly says it. But within the spectrum of Christian community, there are some say, well, I think total abstinence is what Scripture requires. And some say, I think drinking in moderation is okay. However, drunkenness is a sin. Now, here's my experience on this issue. What happens is you'll cherry pick verses to support what you already want to do or do not do. You'll take stuff out of context. Listen, it happens, all, it happens all the time. One time, I went to go visit someone, and this lady I worked with said this. She said, are you studying to be a preacher? And I said, I am. She said, would you like to visit my son? Now listen, if you've got adult children who are heathens, let me just share with you. They're not as excited for me to visit them as you are. Did you know that? And so she's like, that's my son. He's you know, moral and he's wicked and all that kind of stuff. I think he'd enjoy a visit from me. I'm like, I think you're wrong, but I'll go visit him. And so I knock on the door, and he opens the door, and I'm like, <laughs> right? This guy was a gardener, all right? <laughs> he said, are you studying to be a preacher? I said, I am. I said, what are you studying for? He said, be a pharmacist. And I said, I bet you are. I bet you are. So, so, so listen. So I go in. He's like, well, I'm sure my mom's sitting here. And I'm like, no, I was just driving by and saw the pot smoke rolling out. I just thought I'd stop, right? And so he says, well, I do, I do drink a little, and uh, he said, I do uh, smoke pot a little, and uh, he said, but I think, I think God's cool with that. And I said, oh, I said, do tell, right? 
And he said, Jesus drank wine. I'm like, okay. I, I, think there's, I don't think you got the full picture there. I don't think, you know. And, he said, and then he said this. And listen, it floored because I'm thinking this guy knows nothing. This dude had memorized. This was his life's verse. He said, then here in Genesis, here's what it said. And God giveth every green herb of the field. I'm like, how did you know that? I'm like, that's not in there. And I opened it. I'm like, that is in there, right? Like, ne- never been to church in his life, but he memorized that verse from the Bible. So here's the deal. Listen, he had taken some stuff out of context and memorized some stuff. Why? To, to reinforce what he already wanted to do. And so what he wanted to do, he bent the Scripture towards what he wanted, not letting the Scripture bend his heart to what God wanted. And if you're not careful, listen, you and I would do the same thing, and some of you will bend it toward Old Covenant, and, and you'll, everything else is about rules, and some of you bend it towards the New Covenant, and everything else is legalism, those kind of things. Listen, let Scripture be the filter. Here's the third thing. Third thing is this, uh, take advantage of the gift of biblical community. Now, I'm just going to hit this real quick because I feel like a broken record. Your heart will deceive you, Jeremiah 17 says. There will be times where you're burdened down by old covenant and you don't even realize it. And you'll say, no, I'm not. I'm free in Christ and I'm not all those kind of things. And guess what? Someone who loves you enough, who's involved in your life, can look at you from the outside and say, hey, listen, I don't think you're experiencing the full freedom that's available in Christ. As a matter of fact, I think you've got some legalism creep in and I just want to share truth with you. Now, if your bent is toward truth and not grace, you'll get defensive, by the way. You'll push back when they do that. But you need someone to speak into your life to let you know, hey, you've been deceived uh, you're not walking the freedom that Christ offers us. Now, if you're here and you're thinking, hey, listen, you, you said at the beginning there were ten ways and you've only got nine, and if you don't give the tenth one, I can't sleep at night, all right? So here, here's the last one. Here's the last one. It's Old Covenant. If you keep trying to atone for your own sins. That's the most common way People still living with an old covenant. See, see, here's what happened. Under the old covenant, they would offer up these sacrifices. Here's the problem. Those sacrifices had a shelf life. And eventually, they would have to go back and offer another sacrifice. Now, you're, you're here thinking, now listen, I, I don't, I, I'm not trying to offer up bulls and goats to appease God, right? Like if you are, by the way, let us know so we can let our security know because that's, that's a little shady, right? But let me tell you what you are doing if you've never received Christ. What you're offering up is not your best bull or goat. What you're offering up is your best works, your good deeds. Because here's the most common gospel in America, that there's a good God who lives in a good place and good people go there when they die. Listen, if that were true, Christ would have never had to give his life as a ransom for many. And if you're here, and a lot of people are like, well, I don't need the Bible, it's kind of antiquated. Listen, you're here and you're trying to get to heaven because you're a good person doing good things. Listen, that's the oldest trick in the book. It's called the law. It's the oldest trick in the book. And the verse we just read said, hey, listen, that's obsolete. Why? Because it didn't work. And if you're here and you think you're going to heaven because you're a good person, you're following the oldest trick in the book. And God already said, that's obsolete. And there's a new covenant And his name is Jesus. And so you've got one of two choices here this morning. You can either try and pay for your own sins. And listen, the the, the, the cat's already out of the back. It it didn't work. They tried that for a long time. It didn't work. You can either pay for your own sins by your good life and your moral deeds. Or you can accept Jesus' offer, his free gift of salvation. That's your only two options in eternity. 
I don't care what your church background is. And I don't care. Listen, that's your only two options. You either pay for your sins or try and pay for your sins. But we've already read it did not work, so it's obsolete. Or you can accept Jesus' gift of salvation as payment for your sins. That's it. That's the only two options. And if you're here and you think, well, I just, I've lived a good life. I think God's, God's cool with that. Listen, let me ask you a simple question. How good is good enough? How do you know when you've crossed the finish line of good deeds? How do you lay your head down at night and go, oh, I'm, I'm good, I'm good? Listen, because here's what Scripture says. The comparison stick is not your neighbor, not your uncle who's a preacher, not your, listen, the comparison stick is Jesus Christ. And when I'm honest about that, I've only got one thing I can say. Lord, save me. Save me. He's the only hope we have, but guess what? He's enough. He's enough. But you have to receive him today. Would you bow your head this morning?